43, and this is Jesus speaking. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, I have been sent. And to be honest, I don't know about you, but in my journey with the Lord, as I've been journeying in different churches and different ministries, I don't often hear a lot of teaching on the kingdom of God. I hear a lot of teaching on three steps to happiness. And there is no condemnation to anyone who's preached three steps to happiness. But Jesus taught on the kingdom of God. Jesus taught on a spiritual kingdom. And the reason that he died, the reason that he came was to establish that kingdom on earth. And so God's been really journeying with me about this kingdom of God, kingdom of God, Jesus' central teaching theme. And, you know, our vision as a church, we keep the vision in front of us because it's good to have vision. Amen. Because without vision, the Bible says the people perish. And so our vision is to establish a kingdom community. Now, in order for us to be able to establish a kingdom community, we need to understand what the kingdom is, number one. Number two, we need to know how to establish that kingdom. Jesus came and gave us a mission. Just because he left didn't mean that that was going to be the end of the establishment of the kingdom on earth. And so the message that I want to bring to you this morning is sort of a preparation message before we start talking and going into what is the kingdom of God. What did Jesus actually come and establish on earth? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us in our daily lives? Because also, we don't believe that we should come to church, hear a beautiful message, and go home. We come to church to be strengthened. Amen. We come to church to worship and to be strengthened by the seed of His Word so that it can actually produce a harvest in our lives, so that we can be changed from the inside out, so that we can become more like Jesus. That is why we come to church. That is why we are in a fellowship of believers. And so for Johannes and I, our mandate that God has given to us and the prophetic words that's been sown into this ministry is that it will be a ministry that will be teaching kingdom principles. Kingdom principles for us to be able to know, okay, how does the kingdom live out in my relationships? How does the kingdom reflect in my marriage? How does the kingdom reflect in my parenting, in my job, in my business, in society, in the world that we live in today, in the city of Vintuk? Do we see the kingdom of God yet in the city of Vintuk? Portions. But there is more that God wants to do. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about a parable, and it's called the parable of the sower. And so this parable is actually repeated in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew 13. Those of you who are taking notes, it's a good idea to take notes. Matthew 13, it's repeated in Mark 4, and it's also repeated in Luke 8. And so sometimes when we study the Word of God, it's good to compare the different writers. I mean, because who knows that sometimes Mark will include a detail that Matthew would not have included. And so that is where we often get our revelation. That is where we realize, oh, wow, here's another perspective of the same story. And so when we study the Word of God, it's very good to be looking and comparing between the translations. I'm going to be a teacher today. Is that okay? So Jesus, who is our number one teacher, he's the, the teacher. And now the Holy Spirit is also our teacher. Amen. But the Bible actually records a lot of Jesus' teaching in the form of parables. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice how many times Jesus taught in parables. And 
basically, I think about a third of his teachings were parables. What is a parable? A parable is actually stories that Jesus told using natural things in the world that the people that he was teaching could understand. So in other words, Jesus used a lot of uh, symbolism and parables to explain, you know, using things like agriculture, for example, because the people in those days were farmers. They were shepherds. So they understood sheep. They understood sowing and reaping. They understood the principle of agriculture. So that's why we see Jesus using a lot of those type of examples and stories to explain spiritual truths to people. Because who knows, who finds sometimes the Bible is a little bit hard to understand? Yes, we can be honest. Sometimes it feels like, but this is, this is why Jesus spoke in parables. Matthew 13, 34 says, he said nothing to them without parables. And I want us to have a quick look at Mark 4, verse 10. Mark 4, verse 10 to 13. As soon as he was alone, this is Jesus, those who were around him, together with the 12 disciples, began asking him about the interpretation of the parables. So now Jesus is teaching, and they are saying, excuse me, Lord, we don't understand. Can you please explain? And he said to them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you who have teachable hearts. But those who are outside, the unbelievers, the spiritually blind, get everything in parables so that they will continually look but not see. And they will continually hear but not understand. Otherwise, they might turn from their rejection of the truth and be forgiven. And then he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand and grasp the meaning of all the parables? And so Jesus was teaching them this right after he told them about the parable of the sower. And we'll go into that parable in depth this morning. But he was telling them basically that, look, the reason why I'm teaching in parables is because those who have teachable hearts, the mystery of the kingdom will be received by them. So what was Jesus actually saying? He was saying that before he even spoke his message, the crowd's responses to the word that he was teaching was already divided. There were already people, if you think about the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were already offended by Jesus. They already had hard hearts and they already had decided, we are not interested in his teaching. And so I find it interesting that he then uses parables to teach the mysteries of the kingdom. And only those with receptive hearts were able to understand only those who had teachable hearts that came into that environment and said, yes, Jesus, we want to understand what you are saying. It was open for them to receive. It was open for their hearts to perceive what he was teaching. And I believe actually the Pharisees of that day, you know, they were so religious. We have so many religious people in our worlds today. We see it in the ministry. You probably see it in your world everywhere we go. You know, if it's not complicated... And over-the-top, high-end English words, then we are not interested. It has to be super complicated because then it must be very spiritual. And I think Jesus actually came to break that mindset. And he was teaching actually very simple spiritual truths. Jesus said, let the kingdom come and let the children come to me and don't hinder the children. We were sharing this in our volunteer meeting this morning. Because why? Children have a childlike faith. They just believe. Whatever you tell them, they believe. And people 
with hearts that just receive that teaching in its simplicity will understand. And sometimes I think that's where God, God's word divides religious spirited people from the rest of us who simply just believe like children. The gospel is not complicated. Amen. The gospel is not complicated. So Jesus is telling them this parable. And he's saying this is a foundation parable. If you understand this foundation, then you will understand the rest of my teaching. And so I really felt as I was preparing this word that God wants to prepare our hearts. Because we are not here to just build church for the sake of building church. We are here to see people's lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here to see the kingdom of God established in Vintuk, established in Namibia, so that when we go out, that we are equipped, that we are full of the word, that we are full of the spirit, and that we can actually fulfill the great commission on earth the way Jesus told us to. Because I don't know about you, but I want to get to heaven, and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay, we are here because Jesus put us here with a mission and a mandate, and there is an assignment on our lives. And so as a church, we are not going to compromise on that. We are going to be very serious. We are here to build his kingdom. Amen. Okay, so let's get into the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, I'm just going to read through Matthew's version, but in your studies, you can go and have a look at all the other ones because it would be good to do so. Okay. So, sorry, Matthew 13, verse 1 to 9. Okay, so it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting beside the Sea of Galilee. And verse 2. But such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, positioning himself as a teacher, while the whole crowd stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen carefully. Whenever Jesus says, listen carefully, you know you need to be paying attention. Listen carefully. A sower went out to sow a seed in his field. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road between the fields, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And the other seed fell among thorns, and thorns came up and choked them out. And other seed fell on the good soil and yielded grain, some a hundred times as much as was sown, some sixty times as much, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed my words. Okay. So Jesus is using an analogy, a parable, to explain a spiritual truth of the kingdom of God. So he's talking about a sower sowing seed. And afterwards he explains, you can read the rest of it, otherwise we won't have time this morning. So you can go and read the rest of it. But he's explaining the seed is the word of God. Amen. The sower is in this case Jesus. He's sowing seeds of the word of God. He's sowing seeds of the truth of the kingdom of God. And the soil, the ground that the Bible, that this parable is speaking about, is actually representative of the, of the heart, the spiritual heart, that thing that we use to hear, to believe, to receive. So Jesus is saying, I am, I am sowing the seed, but there are different responses to how the seed is received. There are different responses depending on what soil the seed would be falling on. 
Amen. Is that clear? Does that make sense to everyone? So I don't know who here loves gardening. Wietgroenvingers. Okay, there's some of us here. I need to, I will need to talk to you to give me some tips. Because when we moved to Namibia, we didn't have a garden in Cape Town, praise the Lord. I moved in with Johannes in his bachelor flat when we got married. And then we felt the Lord say, okay, I'm not going to uproot you. Well, I am going to uproot you. Do not settle. And I desperately wanted a little garden. You know, every woman, when she gets married, ons wil nes, you weet. You want to scop nesie and stuff. And I felt like, you know, I want to... I want to have a garden. I want to plant my own little herbs. You know, I love palm trees. I wanted palms so that it becomes how I can fool and so on. And so anyway, I never had the privilege of having a garden. And then we moved to Namibia and I was excited. I realized it was a desert, but I didn't quite know the impact it would have on a garden. And so we have a little garden now in our flat where we live. And, and so I actually thought, let me start with indoor plants. Okay. And so I got a little what do you call it, like a little palm, like an indoor palm, okay, I didn't realize how sensitive those plants were, so not only do you have to carefully treat the soil, but you also have to be careful, you can't overwater it, and you can't underwater it, and so after a few weeks, I said, Johannes, there's something wrong with this plant, like I can see the tips of the, of the leaves were starting to go brown, yellow and I plant, everyone that's in cell group remembers the tragedy of the palm, um, tree, plant, pot plant. And it started going brown. And so I went back to Ferreras and I said to them, I'm sorry, I bought this plant here. Can you just please explain to me why are the leaves turning brown? And the lady said to me, you are most probably overwatering." And I said, well, you guys said I must water it like three days a week. And she said, no, 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 that's too much. Go down to one day a week. So I said, okay. So for the next two, three weeks, I watered once, once a week. And so I thought maybe, maybe this is going to you know, um, bring my plant back to life. And eventually it did die. Elke blad het uitgeval. Eventually there was just a little poiki with soil. Not one leaf survived. And I was devastated because also plants are not cheap. And so I said, Johannes, I really, he's like, get a fake plant. I'm like, no, plants give oxygen. Like I'm nesting. I want a beautiful little green plant in the corner of the living room. And so... Later, when we actually got rid of the soil, I saw these funny little insects on the inside. And I said, Johannes, there was something in the soil that killed my plant. It was not me. It was not the over or the underwatering. There was something in the soil that affected the plant that was planted in the soil. I mean, we did, we did replace the plant and we got new potting soil and it's looking beautiful and green. So we'll see. We'll keep you in the loop if it grows. I'm praying over it every morning. But so who knows that the condition of the soil determines the growth of the seed. Okay? So there's, there's other, the condition of the soil, did you say I must repeat it? The condition of the soil determines the growth of the seed. So there's actually other translations of this parable of the sower where it said seeds of the same kind were sown. So we can clearly see that the problem is not the seed. If Jesus sows the seed of the kingdom of God, it's the same seed. The parable is about the different soil conditions of the heart. In other words, the different responses on the seed of the word that was sown. I mean, so the problem is not the seed. God's word is sown, but the condition of the soil of our heart will determine the growth and will determine the harvest of that seed. I mean, is everyone still with me? Okay. 
Now, I want to read a scripture to you, Proverbs 4.23. If you've been in church long enough, you will know this verse by heart because this is something that is actually life-changing. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else. Everyone say, above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Everything that we do flows from our heart. Amen. The condition of our heart, our spiritual heart, will determine the course of our life. This is why Jesus taught and he started with this parable. Because if the condition of your heart is not right, the rest of the parables and the teaching and the seeds of the kingdom will not penetrate. It will not be able to be planted. It will not be deep enough to have roots, a root system. And it will actually not be able to produce a harvest. Amen. And so we know that our natural heart is the center of our being. Okay. Are there any doctors in the room? Okay. But at least we know this. The heart is the center of, of our physical being. It pumps the blood. It pumps oxygen and nutrients to the rest of our body. It feeds the 75 trillion cells that I found on Google that's apparently inside of our bodies. If there is a doctor, you can correct me later. But basically, your heart is the thing that provides life to the rest of your body. Amen? So your physical heart is the center of our being. And it's the same analogy for our spiritual heart. The Bible actually uses the, the word cardia, the Greek word cardia in the New Testament to describe our spiritual heart. And the definition for that figurative heart, that spiritual heart, is it's the center of our being, the inner life of man, the center of man's will, the center of our emotions, our thoughts, our character, our desire, and our intention. So basically, your spiritual heart is not only that thing that we use to believe, but our spiritual heart is also the thing that really shows who we are. It's that inner life. You know, sometimes when, when someone says to you, how's your heart? I used to really struggle. I never understood why people, why do people keep asking me, who's my heart? <laughs> what they were trying to ask is, what's going on on the inside? You might look all polished on the outside. Makeup is mooi, harkies is mooi, GHD. You know, we look nice, we smell good, shaven, you know. But what's happening on the inside? is what is concerning for Jesus. Because why? What goes on on the inside will determine what manifests on the outside. In our words, in our behaviors, in our life, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis comes from this place on the inside. Proverbs 27 verse 19 says, as, water, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. In other words, your heart is the starting place for everything that flows out in your life. That's where everything comes together and it brews. Amen. And that's why the heart is very, very, very important to Jesus. So everything in life stems from our hearts. And you know, sometimes, and this is where it gets really deep. Sometimes when, when we speak about the heart and the spiritual heart, we don't even know what's going on inside of our hearts. Sometimes this is where we need the Holy Spirit. When we, when we are in a relationship with the Lord, when we are in, in a connection with Him, this is where the Holy Spirit will often come and He will show you what's inside of your heart. If there's something that He feels this is a blockage that we need to remove, 
that we need to cut out because it's going to block you in your spiritual growth. It's going to block you in a relationship. It's going to block you in your serving. Maybe there's a little motivation that's not quite right. Something that's just a little bit off. In his love and in his grace and in his mercy, the Lord will sometimes come and he will sometimes correct us very gently. And sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes it's a truth that we have to face that maybe we're not ready to face. But the Lord has got grace in that. He knows when to confront us on, on certain things in our lives. Amen. Matthew 15, verse 18 to 19. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of the day were challenging Jesus. And they said to him, why are your disciples not washing their hands? And why are they, not, why are they breaking the tradition of not washing their hands before they eat? And Jesus told them this. He said to them, for whatever word comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this is what defiles and dishonors the man. Verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and plans, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, slanders, verbal abuse, irreverent speech, and blaspheming. So Jesus was saying, do not be concerned about them not washing hands before they eat. He wasn't saying it's not a good idea. Please do that. But he's saying that is not what defiles you. What defiles us, what blocks us, what produces the wrong fruit in our lives, it's what brews in the heart. It's what we allow inside of our hearts to continue, what we allow inside of our hearts to, to grow. What type of seeds do we allow, do we allow sorry, in our hearts? So as we go back to the parable of the sower, Jesus explains four heart conditions. So remember, he spoke about the seed falling on the four different soils. The first one he spoke of was a deaf and a blind heart. Luke 8 verse 12 says the following. And those beside the road are the people who have heard. This is Jesus now explaining the interpretation of his own parable. So he's saying those beside the road are the people who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes the message of God away from their hearts so that they will not believe in me as the Messiah and be saved. So oftentimes we will be in a position, and I've been there in my life. I don't know who can relate. Before I knew the Lord, before I actually knew about his love for me, before I knew there was a plan and a purpose for my life, I was actually very blind to the gospel. I had a friend who continuously and continuously and continuously tried to preach to me and to be honest, I just thought he was a little weird. <laughs> I thought he was a little bit over the top because I thought I was okay because I grew up in a Christian home. And by that I mean we went to a traditional church and I went to Sunday school and I got a certificate at the end of matric, grade 12, that said I completed Sunday school for the last 12 years. <laughs> but I had no relationship with the Lord whatsoever. And so I thought he was just one of those guys with those weird happy clappy churches, you know, People fall down. People put their hands in the air. Sondar. And so I just thought that was really strange. And, but the, the reality was my heart was actually very blind at that stage of my life. I just wasn't interested. As he was sowing seeds of the gospel to me, I was just actually too busy. The Bible says that the seed fell along the pathway. And, you know, sometimes we can be in a place where we are so busy we don't stop in the pathway to receive the seed. We just walk straight past it. We are distracted with what we need to do in this world. We are busy. We don't have time for someone to come and preach things that 
just seem really irrelevant to us. And I remember when we, when we first joined Jay-Z's church in Durbanville in Cape Town, Livingwood, we had street evangelism on Friday nights. Now, that idea scared me to death because I was like, I have been to Long Street in Cape Town. Has anyone been to Long Street in Cape Town? Okay. This distraught in the cop, as you have a party, as you have a it's a rough place. It's a rough place, especially if you think you want to go on a Friday night at 9 o'clock with your Bible, sober, and you want to go and preach the gospel to people in Long Street. And this reminded me so much of this scripture, and we saw amazing things. Once we put ourselves out there, the Holy Spirit empowers you. You go out. He shows you different people. We prayed for many people for healing. We, we prayed for people that got off drugs completely. We prayed for Muslims that accepted Jesus into their life, that eventually came to church. You know, so we saw amazing miracles on the street. But this reminds me of, of that scene of like, we're busy. I mean, most people that we would walk along the road and people would literally be ignoring us. We'd be like, hi, you know, that awkward of, okay, now I need to tell someone about Jesus. And people just were not interested. They, they were busy. It's Friday night. It's Long Street. Ain't nobody got time. And so people are busy. They're busy with their lives. And basically when the gospel falls on soil like that, on the pathway, what happens? It's rock hard, so it just bounces off. It just bounces off. So there's not even, you don't even hear it. You hear it, but you don't hear it. So that represents that type of heart. Or it could also be sometimes, even as Christians, we can be too busy to receive the word of the Lord. We can be too busy, or you can be at a beautiful conference, church conference for a whole weekend, or you could be in a service like today, and immediately the seed of the word has been sown, but you've been waiting. You were late this morning, and so you're waiting for that coffee, and now you want to be first for the coffee. Someone starts talking to you. You get there. There's no more coffee left. No, Jesus. Okay, I'm annoyed. Or you get into the parking lot, and there's too many cars, and you can't get out, and your chicken is in the oven, and you want to get home, and you are in a hurry, and you just get angry, or someone drove into your car straight after church, and immediately the enemy comes, and he steals that seed that was supposed to go into the soil. The second heart that Jesus taught about was a hard heart. Matthew 13, verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy. Yay, we're actually excited about the, the word. Yet, he has no substantial root in himself, but is only temporary. And when the pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles and falls away, abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. And so we see that this, this hard heart, this rocky soil, it has no roots. So the, the seed of the word has been sown, but it falls into rocky ground where it may actually even go into the soil. But as soon as the seed actually wants to germinate, nothing can actually happen because it's rock hard in the next level of the soil. This was clipper, buckskin of it all lay. So it, can't, it actually can't develop a root system. Do you know what I mean? So, so the seed gets sown, but it can't develop a root system. So it's received with joy. Yay, 
okay, awesome, the kingdom of God, yes, I'm going to make it mine. But as soon as something happens, as soon as they get persecuted, as soon as someone, the enemy comes with a lie, that seed dies because there's, there's something on the inside of the soil that prevents it from, from developing that root system that it needs to grow. And the King James Version actually says that, that last part of that scripture where it says immediately he falls away. The King James Version uses the word scandalizo, which means immediately he is offended. Immediately he is offended. And this is something that the Lord really had to deal with me on. Offense. It is so easy to take offense. For us as Christians, even in church, you know, you're serving with the joy of the Lord. Yes, and then someone just does something and ticks you off and you're offended. And the problem with that offense is if we let it, if we let it um, linger in our hearts, it will grow. And it will become like a callus. Like it will become like a hardened place in our heart. And unless we allow the Lord to work with us to remove that offense, it will produce those hard things in our hearts. And it's not just offense. What else can harden our heart? Things like unforgiveness. And I know sometimes when you preach to people about unforgiveness, people are like, oh, you know, we know that. But unforgiveness is like a poison to our soul. Unforgiveness is like a poison to your spirit. It kills you from the inside out. Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment. And this is where the Lord had to deal with me. I thought I have, I love everyone. There's no one I can say that I hate. There's no one that I can say, you know, I need to forgive or I could know it massive unforgiveness towards someone. I just really didn't have anything like that. And I felt like the Lord pointed, this was about a year and a half, two years ago, that the Lord first started dealing me with the idea of resentment. Resentment is a tricky little thing because you don't always detect it. It's like an offense. Sometimes it's so little, but if you leave it there, if you let it linger, it will grow. And it will cause that callous. Resentment, the definition is a bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And it's often a hidden hardness in our hearts. So you think you may have forgiven someone, but something stays behind in your heart. That resentment, you will notice it by the way that you speak. You will notice that you have resentment in your heart by the words that you use, maybe by an attitude towards someone or something if you pay attention to yourself, you will notice it. If this is something that you are struggling with, this was something that I struggled with. There was someone in my world that just really irritated me. <laughs> it was in a previous work situation that we were at, and, and I started, I think at one point I spoke to Johannes about it, and I said, I don't know why, but whenever I speak about this guy, I'm annoyed. Whenever I think about him, I'm annoyed. And then the Lord started to show me, but I actually took offense, and my offense grew into resentment. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if you don't deal with that resentment, if you don't forgive and release and let it go completely, it will grow towards unforgiveness and it will grow towards a real hard, rocky place in my heart. And it will block me spiritually from many things. Joyce Meyer always says that unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison, wishing that someone else would die. Drinking poison, wishing someone else would die, but in actual fact, it's bringing a pollution into your heart, into your spirit. 
And there's been a lot of research that's been done on the power of forgiveness. We've seen it in the counseling office in, in Cape Town where people would come in with illnesses, diseases, different things, cancers even, people came in. And then when we would start praying, when the Holy Spirit would start speaking and showing us what the root of the problem is, unforgiveness in many cases would unblock and release the healing. Or oh, forgiveness, sorry, not unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is the problem. Forgiveness, as soon as they would release, as soon as they would let go, that healing would come. That blockage can be removed. That restoration with the Father, that intimacy of the Holy Spirit can be restored. Amen. Does that make sense? And there's actually a lot of research that's been done on the power of forgiveness, about how letting some of those things go can have physical benefits to our body. Things like, Letting go of resentment and bitterness has a calming effect on your physical heart. Amen. It, has, it can reduce stress. It can lower blood pressure. It can relax tension muscles. Sometimes we just need to let go and allow the Holy Spirit to heal us from the inside and we'll save on some medical bills. I'm not saying that's everyone's situation. I'm saying a lot of times that is the case. There is such a real connection between what's happening in the spiritual realm and what manifests physically in our bodies. Amen. So Jesus was saying this is really, really important. It's important to allow him to remove the rocks from our hearts. If we struggle with any of those areas, it will become a blockage to us. And it will become a blockage from the seeds of the kingdom to grow and to produce fruit and to produce a harvest in our lives. The third heart that Jesus was talking about was a thorny heart. Matthew 13, verse 22. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries and distractions of the world and the deceitfulness, the superficial pleasures and delight of riches, choke the word and it yields no fruit. So this is the one that hears the word and the seed goes into the soil but something ends up choking the seed. The seed can't breathe. The seed can't grow. It can't germinate. It can't produce roots. It can't grow. And the number one problem in, in that thorny heart is the worries of everyday life. And this is something that God also had to deal with me and still continues. This is an ongoing journey. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with constant anxiety, constant stress, constant worry, it will choke the seed of faith in our hearts. Jesus is saying that there's two types of seed growing in the same soil patch. And eventually one will be stronger than the other. And if there are seeds in your heart of worry, of anxiety, of fear, it will choke the seed of faith in our hearts. There's actually a great saying that I love. Don't dig up in worry what you have planted in faith. If you have planted something in faith, by then constantly worrying and constantly having anxiety over it and fearing of what could and what may, and then you are choking that seed of faith in your heart. And so Jesus is saying, there's many of these other parables and teachings that speak about how we should not worry about everyday life. Because the Bible says that seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. 
In other words, if we allow the seeds of the kingdom to manifest in our heart and to produce a harvest in our lives, and we are focused and we have a mindset on the kingdom, then we will be more aware of the spiritual kingdom around us than our everyday needs. And this is hard because we do live in a natural world at the same time that we live in a spiritual world. So this is why Jesus wants to plant the seeds of the kingdom in us. Because when we have a kingdom mindset that we know Jesus is our provider. We do not need to worry about tomorrow, he says. For tomorrow will take care of itself. And this is hard for many of us. Because the reality of life is things cost money. So we worry about money. We're anxious for our children. I had a friend who, I think we were students. Like, she was engaged. She wasn't even married yet. And she was already, she, she lived in a constant, she really had a challenge with fear. She lived in a, in a constant state of fear. She would already be worrying about something today that could happen in the next 30 years. For real. And I used to say to her, like, you need to stop. You are making yourself sick on the inside. You are constantly worried about what will happen to your children. Will your children be kidnapped in a mall one day? She wasn't even married yet. Why would she be worrying about children? And, and some of us, you do actually have children and you worry about them because we live in a scary fallen world. So Jesus is not saying be oblivious to the world that's going on around you. He's saying have a kingdom mindset and do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, make your needs known to the Lord. And there is such a huge thing that we need to wrap our minds around that if we focus on the kingdom of God, and this is a journey for all of us. Johannes and I have not arrived. We are still journeying every day. Lord, teach us your kingdom. Teach me, Lord. I mean, we were worried about who's going to help us on Sundays. Will anyone come to church? Will we have what we need? You know, all these things. Will people buy into the vision? People don't even know us. Here we come from South Africa. Even though Johannes was born here, he was gone for 20 years. You know, and we, some of us have, have big fears and big anxieties. And Jesus is saying, today is the day to let it go. Because the seed of the kingdom will not be able to grow if we have seeds of worry and anxiety and fear constantly choking out that seed that gets sown. The second thing that Jesus spoke about in that scripture, he said the deceitfulness of, deceitfulness of riches, materialism, achieving, gathering, opar. Things like materialism, things like greed, things like I need to earn more, I need to be doing more. Jesus is saying that that will choke out the seed of faith. Don't be deceived by riches. Do not be deceived. Uh, um, Jesus actually also said that it is much harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Is Jesus against money? No. Is he against you being blessed? No. But he is against having money as an idol. Where money is our God. And money is our provider. When we are children of the Lord, God becomes our provider. He's not saying don't work hard. He's not saying take care of your family. He's not saying don't save. He's saying don't let that rule you. Don't let that be your main motivator in life. Don't let that be the main thing that drives you. 
Let the kingdom of God be the main thing that drives you, because then all these things will be added unto you. Amen. Those things will steal your peace. It will steal your joy. And no other fruit will be able to develop if we don't get rid of those things. And the fourth seed, or the fourth soil he's talking about in Matthew 13, verse 23. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands and grasps it. And he indeed, indeed bears fruit and yields some a hundred times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much, and some 30. So this is the soil that Jesus talks about. This is the heart that receives. This is the heart that says, yes, Lord, I believe. Even though I don't know how we are going to do it, I'm going to trust you that you are going to guide me. I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit to show me. I'm going to trust the spiritual leaders that you've put in my life to help me, to guide me, to teach me. This is God's heart for us, to have healthy and pure hearts, that we can receive His Word and that we can develop that harvest, the, the root systems that we need. Now, this is all great, but how does this apply to us? So I believe the first thing that the Lord taught me about this is I need to be guarding my heart every single day. Now, that scripture, Proverbs 4.23, if we can put that up again, that word guard means to, to guard and to protect and to maintain, to watch carefully like a prison guard. A prison guard will not let those prisoners out of sight. He's constantly looking and making sure no one escapes. He's watching what's going in and what's going out. And that is what I believe the Lord wants us to do. We need to guard our heart because the condition of our heart and the harvest it produces is our responsibility. It's not Johannes' responsibility to guard my heart. It's not the Lord's responsibility to guard my heart. It is not my other pastor, Jacy's responsibility to guard my heart. It is my responsibility. I need to be the one to make sure what do I allow inside of my heart to make sure that the soil of my heart is constantly in a good state. Amen. So number one, how can we do this? I don't have five steps, but I have five suggestions. The first suggestion is number one, we need to have regular, quiet, intimate time with the Holy Spirit. Because that is the place where the Holy Spirit can show us what's going on inside of our hearts. The Bible says that the heart is maybe a secret to us, but it's not a secret to God. Man may look on the outside, but God looks at the heart of someone. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 says the following. This is David telling the Lord. And, and here's the thing. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Why? I believe this is one of them. He said to the Lord, search me thoroughly, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. So David regularly, if you read through the Psalms, he regularly was at a place where he said, Lord, help me. Show me what's going on inside of my heart. Show me why there is not change. Show me why this is not happening. Maybe there's something on the inside of my heart. And the Lord is faithful. He will show you and he will be gentle about it. Number two, I believe we can guard our heart by listening to our own words, looking at our own actions, being conscious of our motives and our attitudes. 
I remember really struggling with that guy at my previous job. I started noticing something, or maybe the Holy Spirit prompted me. Something was off with my attitude. Something was off whenever I spoke about him. And Johannes said to me, you need to deal with this. And so sometimes the people that are closest to us will notice a change in our heart. They will notice when we start speaking differently, when we start speaking very negatively. When, when they notice there's something wrong in our motivation. So don't be closed off when your spouse wants to speak to you about your attitude. Don't be closed off when your spiritual leader asks you, hey, how's your heart? They're probably asking that for a reason. For a reason. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit when he wants to show us if there is something that we need to deal with because it's for our own health. It's for our own good. It's for our own growth that God wants to heal those places in our hearts. Amen. Number three, I believe we need to put up boundaries. This is the way that we can guard our heart, especially for young people who are dating. I'm not just talking about physical boundaries and to make sure you don't have sex before marriage. I'm also talking about emotional boundaries. You know, many times in, in the counseling office, we would see people who would come and who would confess and say something went wrong in my marriage. Somehow, I don't know how it happened. We were happily married and suddenly I found myself in an affair. And the challenge is, is that sometimes that happens only with a thought. It starts with one conversation. It may start with, you know, one conversation and a coffee break. And so what we often tell people is make sure when you are married and you serve the Lord and you want to do things God's way and you want to honor your marriage, have boundaries. Have emotional boundaries. Johannes and I have an emotional boundary. We don't talk to other people about our marriage of the opposite sex. If I'm frustrated with Johannes, I should not be going and talking to another male about my challenges in my marriage. He should not be going and talking to another female. Unless we're talking about our spiritual leaders where we have consent to talk, but then we talk together. You know, there are healthy boundaries that we can put in place for these things to make sure that things like that don't happen. Because remember what Jesus said, it starts in the heart. It starts with one inappropriate conversation. It starts with one message, one second look that should not be a second look. These are the things that we need to pay attention to. And I know it's, it's hard stuff that we're talking about this morning, but, but it's good. Sometimes we need the broccoli words, I mean. Next week we'll have an ice cream. <laughs> broccoli is good for you. Number four, I believe we need to protect our spiritual guides. What are your spiritual guides? Our eyes. What are we looking at? What kind of movies are we watching? What kind of music are we listening to? Whose voices are we listening to? You know, if you, have, if you have someone that constantly speaks negative thoughts into you, constantly speaks the problem and not the solution, that's probably not a good person to listen to. We see this a lot in church, in volunteer teams and, you know, different ministries. If there is someone in your team that is offended... You can be guaranteed if that offense is not dealt with, soon you will have five people all being offended on the same thing. They were not even part of the first offense, but things like that rub off because someone will now constantly be speaking about their offense and constantly speaking about that thing that is not 
that they are unhappy about. And soon, sooner or another, if you are not paying attention to that, you might be, you may be influenced by that. And now you have offense and you don't even know why. We need to protect. What are we reading online? What are we engaging with on our phones? What do we allow entrance into our homes? What do we allow our children to watch? We, at one stage, we were praying for children who had extreme nightmares in the evenings. They would constantly wake up with nightmares and they would be scared. They don't want to go anywhere alone. They're scared of the dark. And I'm not saying this is everyone's case, but it could be the case. I remember I was scared of the dark because we used to watch scary movies all the time, horror movies, all those kind of things. You know, sometimes that really gives uh, an entrance for a spirit of fear into the lives of children, even for us as grown-ups. So we need to make sure that we protect our spiritual gates. What are we listening to? I saw a post on Facebook this week. I think it was to do with the coronavirus. And someone said, why don't you, first thing in the morning, open up the book of good news before you open up the paper of bad news? At one stage, I actually struggled with so much fear in South Africa and crime and all the stories that people were telling about what, you know, this one's house was broken into, this was happening. And we're not saying ignore the reality. We're, not, we're just saying don't let that spirit of fear gain entry into your heart. And I made a decision not to listen to the news for about two or three months. And I think it went on for longer. So I would hear what's happening through Johannes because I just felt like it was feeding my spirit with fear. And so I stopped doing it for a while. I can't say that I'm actually listening to news now. Anyway, number five, we need to know the word and we need to meditate on it. This is my last scripture if the worship team can come up. Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 22. It says, my son, pay attention to my words and be willing to learn. Open your ears to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing and health to all their flesh. The seed of God's word can bring healing to all of our flesh. It can bring life. Do we feed our flesh or do we feed our spirit? We need to be constantly in a place, if we want to guard our hearts, if we want to make sure that the soil of our heart is healthy, we need to feed it the Word of God. Listen to podcast teachings, read the Word of God, find a good study Bible, get into the Word, because it will produce a harvest in your life. And it will help us to produce healthy soil, so that the Word of God, the seeds of the kingdom of God can produce a healthy harvest in our lives. Amen.